0: This morning, we wrap up our latest installment of our mini series uh, called Grace Stories. And these are stories, as we've shared over the last couple of weeks and over the years. These are stories of people who are sitting right next to you, people just like you, who have experienced healing in their hopeless marriages, who have been raised to new life through faith in Jesus Christ, who have tasted real hope and renewal having gone through a season of dark doubts and emotional suffering or other painful losses. In all these stories, we have said God will have the last word on the last day when He finishes making all things new. But until then, we're privileged to receive this glimpse of God's working in us, renewing, restoring, resurrecting. This month, we've heard from Carl Stevens, our new staff member, our Director of Worship Ministries. We've also heard from Rachel Sang, our Assistant Director of Children's Ministries. And this uh, morning's last staff member is me. Um, As Steve let the cat out of the bag at the beginning of the service, uh, this this past spring I pitched this idea to Cedar. We were looking for a resurrection story, a story of new life in Christ for the Easter Sunday services. And um, a few people had asked uh, weren't ready, Uh, couldn't do it, and uh, I knew I had in my back pocket two grace stories under our own roof. And so I pitched this idea to Cedar, she agreed, and in a now infamous turn of events, she might call it bait and switch, she ended up giving her grace story all by herself, on Easter Sunday no less, with her mom and her sisters in town, uh, from out of town. And Cedar's story, you can find it on our website, com. Cedar's story is a story of a powerful story of brokenness and gospel healing, and uh, that's why when she went in that direction, I felt it wisest to give her the space so that she could tell this story and you could be blessed. What I had in mind originally was Cedar sharing how she came to faith in Jesus as a high school sophomore and... Uh, myself sharing how I came to faith in Jesus as a college freshman. And uh, when I was trying hard to find the third story for this miniseries, Karen Jacobson, our uh, children's director, and uh, a colleague on staff with whom I share some ideas, uh, she's fully responsible for Carl, Rachel, and Peter in this lineup. Uh, she, she scored as the hat trick, and I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, reward her for uh, delivering. Um, <laughs> Karen, herself a veteran of a grace story, did not let me off the hook, and so here I am. As this lineup for this Falls miniseries came into shape, I I suddenly had this moment of self-consciousness, even as a guy who is up here most Sundays, because um, I realized that the last 10 or 12 grace stories have courageously shared an intimate view of pain and brokenness and family dysfunction or addiction or spiritual doubts. And they've been powerful. And we've needed tissues for every single one of them. And we have uh, wondered and marveled at what God is doing in our midst. Uh, But my moment of self-consciousness was that mine would be too boring too vanilla, not exciting, not deep enough, not painful enough, but then I realized how important this could be and this should be for our community here at GRC because I've said this here and there over the years, grace stories are not something that are present in a select few followers of Jesus. I've said over and over, you have a grace story, and it's just a question of what chapter we're in that God is telling through your life. And some chapters are super exciting and some chapters are a little bit scary and and tear-jerking and some chapters are just life as a follower of Jesus. If, If you're a follower of Jesus, God is at work in you and you have something to share with others who are following Him. And with those who are wondering what it's like to be a Christian. Do I have to put on this plastic face and act like everything's okay? I hope you've tasted, if you've been around, our message in highlighting these grace stories that it's far from it. These are real people experiencing real things. And so as I thought about my own grace story, I realized there are lots of other kinds of stories that are represented in our community, in our church, in this room this morning. Some of you I may have thought, as I have, as you've heard these grace stories, I just don't have a story that's that deep, that's that painful, that's going to strike people with such an impact. But we need to hear those stories—the stories of God providing grace in the moment of a decision, God speaking to you through a scripture passage in. A season of spiritual doubt, uh, of grace given to provide a little victory over an ongoing struggle in the moment. You have a story, even if it sounds like no one else's. So, you might be disappointed. This was your chance to peer into my closet and find all the skeletons and hear it all laid out. Uh, But this isn't about me hiding. This is Just that the main chapter of my grace story is not a story of renewal or restoration. It's a story of resurrection. I didn't have a perfect family growing up. I've struggled over the years, but if those are chapters of my overall grace story, the main chapter is a story of how God brought to new life an 18 year old kid, rescuing me not from drugs, not from a life of crime. Not from hopeless despair, but rescuing me from myself, from a life of self-reliance, and the illusion that I could do this on my own. So here's one chapter of my story, and I hope it also helps to uh, h- serves to help you realize that this guy you hear preach most Sundays is really just like you. I grew up in an immigrant household; both parents born in China. They met here in New York City. My, my mom was 10 when she arrived. My dad uh, quickly adapted to American culture, so my family dynamics are in a lot of ways atypical of an Asian American uh, family growing up here in the New York area. My family went to church every weekend, but if we attended the really good service, we were in and out in 45 minutes. That defined really good because it didn't interrupt the rest of life. I attended the parochial school connected to the church, and so it felt very much like home. It was a part of our lives. I remember in first grade being asked to read Psalm 137 during the service. I figured it out years later when I came across the striking language when we sat by the waters of Babylon. And later on in my teen years, I volunteered to be a a regular reader of Scripture during the services. That will be... uh, a little relevant tidbit later on in my story. When I went off to college, church going became my choice, even if I skipped a service here and there, but it was a natural, if only external, part of who I was. But in the first couple of months of freshman year, it just so happened that uh, two people I met, one on my freshman floor and one through some uh, orientation week activity, each of them invited me to a campus ministry meeting of Campus Crusade for Christ. It might as well have been a a Muslim or a Buddhist event because my initial reaction was that I was not interested at all because I didn't fit that faith category. That wasn't who I was. That wasn't my identity. That wasn't my family background. But uh, they casually and regularly circled back, and then each of them told me about a hayride and a campfire, and then a fall retreat down the shore at Harvey Cedars on Long Beach Island. And then each of them extended an invitation to a Christmas party. And I don't know if it was the free food or the chance to meet some girls, but I finally gave in. (laughs) And I went to the Christmas party. And this is the part of my story that still seems underwhelming even to me because it felt so natural. There was no parting of the clouds. There was no voice from heaven. There was no blinding light knocking me off my horse like Jesus did to Saul in Acts 9, whom we know as the Apostle Paul. In retrospect, I realized that I heard the gospel for the first time in my life that night. And what I mean by that is I was informed graciously I was told, I was gently, uh, it was gently pointed out that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. I was exposed to a new world of freely talking about sin, my sin, and the consequences of my choices and my thoughts and my words. And more importantly, I heard about the hope of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior that God the Father has provided for the rescue of all of humanity. I heard that faith in Jesus who went to the cross in my place, who suffered death for me, was the path of salvation. Through all those years of regular church going, I had never heard that before. As I got pulled into community, I kept hearing the gospel in different ways, mostly every Thursday night at the weekly meeting, which was a mini worship service with uh, a lot of music and some teaching. People clapping and singing to a guitar and a drum and a few raising their hands, that was weird. And a leader teaching from the Bible, applying its truth to our young adult lives, that was different. I realized later it was weird because religion for me was this little compartment of my life. It it wasn't uh, a natural overflowing thing. Uh, Whereas I would freely raise my hands at a a baseball game or at a concert. Um, Some of us old enough used to pull a a lighter out of our uh, pockets. You know, these days it's just your iPhone. Uh, I would do those kind of outward displays That had emotion behind that, but raising my hands to the Lord felt awkward and strange because that was just a little part of my life, an external part of who I was that didn't have any relevance to the rest of my life. And yet, it all seemed so natural. I can't tell you a time and date, but I can remember sitting on the edge of my bed on the 24th floor of the high-rise East dorm, late at night, praying all by myself, saying something along these lines. Lord, I see my sin and my need of a Savior. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life and I trust You, Jesus, as my Savior. I think I've already trusted You, but just in case, I'm telling you now. And I opened my eyes and looked around and everything was the same, except nothing was the same. I wondered if it took. I wondered if I did it right. And let me share this editorial comment. You never know. I've heard so many of your stories, so many along these lines. I I trusted Jesus when I was eight or when I was 12, but it wasn't until I went on that retreat. It wasn't until I went to college and joined the campus ministry. It wasn't until this crisis of life when I had these deep questions or had this conversation with a mentor when My faith became my own, and I really started growing in Christ. You never know when the beginning is. But this is why the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 urges people to constantly pursue growth in Christ, and he adds this, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. He doesn't say that to introduce doubt to constantly cause us to wonder if we have salvation or not, wonder if you know uh, God has abandoned me or not, if I've, if I've been good or not. That, that has nothing to do with salvation. The Apostle Peter is sharing this to discourage spiritual complacency that can so easily be a sign of immature or imposter faith. I was invited to join a guy's Bible study. I started reading the Bible for the first time in my life, And I didn't know it at the time, but I was getting discipled by an older student and by a staff member. I started, uh, when I started reading the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 was one of the earliest passages that really struck me. And it says this, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. As I shared earlier, I regularly read the Bible during worship services through my teen years, but none of it ever struck me as spiritually or eternally relevant. None of it ever got deeper than skin deep it was religious literature. And my reading of the Bible during worship services was not much different in my mind, not that I thought this at the time, I later realized this, not much different than if I were asked to stand up and and read Greek poetry or Ralph Waldo Emerson. What was the difference now? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Well, now... I belong to Christ, and therefore God the Father gave me the fullness of God the Spirit in me. And now, with the Spirit, as 1 Corinthians 2 puts it, I could understand and accept the things that come from the the Spirit of God because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Words of Scripture became words of life, the very words of God, ultimate truth. And if I were to review my path to conversion, I'd say this. I was raised in mere religion, going through the motions surrounded by words and symbols, but no sense, no explanation of why. No understanding of my responsibility for personal sin, and certainly no pointer to the only hope of humanity in the substitute death of Jesus. I heard just enough about God to think I was fine tucked away in a pew in a church on a weekly basis. And some of you may be coming to church here thinking the same thing. I go to church, and therefore I'm fine. But I wasn't fine. I was totally lost. How did God draw me to Himself? Through the invitation of friends. It wasn't a complicated process of evangelism. These two girls who had befriended me during uh, freshman orientation and on my dorm room, they, they weren't seasoned, trained, experienced defenders of the faith. They simply said, Why don't you come sometime and join us? Why don't you come on uh, to a, a, a Christmas party? Why, why don't you come and see? Just like Philip going to Nathanael in the beginning of John's gospel. Philip telling Nathanael about Jesus and then very simply saying, Come and see come and see. Invitation is one of the most straightforward and simplest means of evangelism that every one of us can engage in. I've been a follower of Christ now for 27 years, but don't be misled into thinking that my pastoral profession means I'm any better at this than you are, following after Christ. Walking with Christ is a constant battle. For priority of time to spend in God's Word, for priority of attention to give to prayer, for attentiveness to the Spirit who keeps showing me my sin and reminding me that my sin has been paid for by Jesus, and therefore I'm free I'm forgiven. There's no guilt resurrection power raised me to new life in 1991, and resurrection power is still at work renewing me in the inner man. God rescues people, He surely does, who are far from Him, but He also rescues people who are tucked away in a pew, sitting in church every weekend, who think they're just fine because they're good people, but who still desperately need salvation. This is my grace story.
1: that this this vanilla is good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Father, thank you. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for saving him. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy on us. We don't deserve any of this. But you, in your great love and great mercy called us by name. You've called Peter by name. Thank you for giving him to us in this community for these many years. We pray that this will be a blessing to many. And we know he is a blessing already to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Peter asked, like, are you up for a gig? I said, yeah, I'm up for anything. You know, the guys who know me will and uh, it was a time to share the Word of God and uh, uh, kind of reflect on Peter's story. And uh, we're going to do that in about 10, 10 15 minutes uh, this morning. And he, he made a comment, this was your one chance to peer into my closet and see all the skeletons. Um, we love that, right? If you, look at <laughs> you know, if you look at the movie scene, we all go to movies, which is a thriller, you want to be blown away. You want to get those goosebumps. I actually did some research. Um, the three top movies: Beauty and the Beast. They grossed uh, 1.26 billion. Ooh. The Fate of the Furious was close, 1.23 billion. Despicable Me. If you want a list of movies to watch, I gave you three. <laughs> it's, they almost grossed a billion. You know, the world wants to go to. The movies, and and I'm not saying movies are bad, but we go there for the excitement, the thrill. And we want to, you know, we want to kind of see and enjoy that. You know, in a quaint town called Bethlehem, everybody was sleeping. But 2,000 years ago, there was somebody who was born. Only the shepherds got all the jazz and music. But nobody else got it. It was actually in a, in a cave. There was no pomp. There was no splendor. Christ was born. He changed history. In fact, history is his story. He split it. There is no carpenter that has split history. Do we find one? There's only one that has split history, and that is Jesus Christ. So all of us have a story, as Peter said. And God is doing his mighty work slowly, without spotlight, without all this music, but he's, he's creating something of value which is invaluable because it's him who's creating it for himself through us. Probably after some years, Peter will tell his Have mercy on me, Lord Stories. What do I mean by that? In the last 13 years, (laughs) he's had enough to have mercy on him after GRC. So God has a way to balance. You know, he gives a quiet life. Then he says, okay, now you're ready. (laughs) Get all this, you know. Get all the pain. Get all the sleepless nights. Get all the phone calls. Have no weekends. But prepare for this ministry. God has a way to balance it. I'm sure he'll share it in, in some years from now, but let's look into the Word of God this morning for a few few brief moments. And the reading is from John chapter 11. Sorry, John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. I'm going to read. Uh, if you have the Bibles of the, in the pew, it's from 880 page number, John 20, 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Peter and his story that you are writing. And all of our stories are being compiled into the great story that you're writing. Each a chapter of redemption, restoration, resurrection, and renewal. Open your word to us this morning. Do a work in us that is eternal. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the lines Peter said was, the main chapter is a story of resurrection. It was a funny story behind this because... When Peter said it, I started to say, okay, Lord, which, which book, which chapter do I pick? You know, is there anything that you have on your mind? And, and the Lord focused on on this, and I said, it's not Easter, you know, this, this is an Easter passage. And lo and behold, I read Peter's uh, testimony, and it's like, this is a story of resurrection, so I know which one it is. <laughs> Let's see if the Lord speaks to us in a way that will change our lives this morning, forever. Jesus, this, this rabbi, This teacher, this miracle worker, was caught and killed violently. He had not created any violent crime. He was actually doing good. He died violently at the cross. And his disciples were all scattered. It's funny that the women had most courage. (laughs) They came back to the tomb. When the sun rose... They had probably seen that the burial had not gone well. So they brought spices to anoint him, saying, Let's anoint the parts that the men left out before burying because it was Sabbath and they quickly, you know, kind of buried him. The women came and saw it was all open. Whoa, they, they were afraid. Everybody went back. They went back. Some women went back and told the disciples. The disciples came running, Peter and John, and we know who was faster. John landed in the, uh, uh, you know, grave faster than Peter, but he was afraid. He didn't want to go in. You know, it was a a crime scene because it was sealed by the government, and you could not enter any sealed property like we do, right? Crime scene. Do not enter. So John kind of stood back. Peter is always courageous. He's also stupid sometimes. Not this Peter. I mean, that Peter. You know, he, he went in, and he saw. He found the grave clothes. They went back disappointed. That was not a joke that I thought about. It just came, so. (laughs) Mary stood. Everybody left. Mary stood there. She could not go. This is a woman that Jesus had relieved of seven demons, it says in Luke. She missed her Lord. And she is waiting at the grave. Weeping looking in when she looked in she found two angels that's spooky imagine you go into a room and you are like weeping and nobody there. suddenly two men come you are spooked but she was so overwhelmed she started to actually engage with <laughs> the angels who asked her a question why are you weeping woman why are you weeping she says they have taken my lord away Nothing could have eased her pain. Even angels coming and giving, asking her questions did not ease her pain. As a nine-year-old, I stood weeping at the grave of my dad. You know, I, I, I used to, at that point, I thought this God is a cruel, killjoy God. He does things that want to kill your joy, Want to do stuff that is always bad for you. I regret the language that I used to him in those days. Probably their hearts broke when they left the grave, the disciples, but Mary Magdalene did not leave. Jesus came to the grave at her lowest point when she did not have her Savior. She could not see her Savior or do that little bit of service that she wanted to do. Jesus came and stood behind her. You know, Jesus asked a question. He asked the same question that the, that the angels asked, but he asked another question. He says, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? What is it you're looking Who is it that you're looking for? And Mary gives the same answer. You know, Jesus has a habit of asking questions. I don't know if you've seen. If you read the Bible and the Gospels, he always ask a question back to the questioner for him to start to understand what's the question that I'm asking. He doesn't give you answers straight away. He wants you to exercise and really understand what is the question behind your question. Because sometimes what we ask for is not really what we need. Lord, give me peace. I, I'm the prince of peace. You have me. What are you asking me? He wants to ask the question back to you. So in the same way, he asks the question, why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? And if you see in the word, you you don't have to turn to it. God has been asking questions quite a bit across the board, you know, from Old Testament to New Testament. He asks in the Garden of Eden, what did he say? Where are you? (laughs) As if God didn't know. Hiding behind the bush. Come on. He made the world. He doesn't know where you are hiding, but he still asks the question: "Where are you? What's your name?" <laughs> Jacob. Funny. God decided the name earlier, before the foundations of the world. I chose you. God asks the question, and the weirdest one that I I think that he asked was uh, Moses: "What's in your hand?" <laughs> what's in my hand? <laughs> He asked the question because we have something behind it. He wants us to think through, think through what we are, uh, what we are thinking. And he's offering us an opportunity to have that dialogue with him. Something amazing happened. After that, Jesus does not just give directions to dead bodies. Go straight, take a left, you'll find the body there. That's what the devil does. He gives you directions to your own dead body so you can pick it up and enjoy it. The old man. But Jesus, he comes and he says something so beautiful. He calls out her name. Like he called out Peter's name that night. Not that he was not calling out before that for 18 years. But something beautiful happened there because the Spirit of God opened his ears that he can now listen to his call. Peter, in this case, in the Scripture, it says, Mary. Peter said, I realized that I heard the gospel for the first time at the Christmas party even. God has been priming his heart for all those years. And on the 24th floor of the high-rise east, At night, by myself, praying, as I sat on the bed edge of edge of my bed, Lord, I see my sin and my savior, and my need of a savior. I believe in Jesus. Have you heard that call? Have you heard that call? Heard that voice call you by your name? Peter responded. Mary responded. How about you? There are many instances that people respond. You see in Exodus chapter 3, verses 4. Let's read it quickly. It's on the screen if you want to read it. It says, uh, the Lord saw, uh, and the, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. Moses. God called him. He didn't want to go. Like we said, what's, what's in your hand? He had the stick. 40 years of being a shepherd. That's all he knew. He said, this is precious. I want to keep it. Lord said, throw it. No, he won't throw it. I want to keep it. The Lord said, throw your stick down. See what you're holding. Moses became a great leader of the Lord. And the one who was so insecure and was ready to take care of the sheep, he took care of millions of people, crossing, helping them cross all the way from Egypt. In fact, the funny thing is that the Pharaoh of Egypt versus Moses' staff, the staff brought him down to his knees. That's all you need because the one behind you is more important than what you hold. God brought Pharaoh down to his knees with a staff. That's the power of God. Read in Samuel, Samuel chapter 3, verses 8. A third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, and called me. You see the story of Samuel, young man in the temple. He was doing the chores of the temple. He called out to him, Samuel, Samuel. He didn't even recognize the voice. He had to go back to Eli to say, you calling me? He hadn't heard the voice of God till then. He was called. God was calling Samuel to a very tough mission. He was going to say how he's going to kill the sons of Eli and going to deal with Eli, Eli's household. Tough call, young man. He opened his ears up and gave his life to Christ. uh, Gave his life to God and service of God. Another story we see Zacchaeus, Luke chapter nineteen, verses five and six. It's an interesting character. You should read when you go back home. It's a you know, he was a chief tax collector of the district. And he was shot, they say. Nothing against shot people, but he was shot, so he couldn't see. Jesus was passing through, so he climbed a tree, and he was like, trying to see Christ go by. He couldn't see, so he climbed up a tree, sycamore tree, and he, and, and he was looking. And Jesus came right at the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to, I want to dine with you this evening. Like, shocked. How does he even know my name? A great revival in his heart. He said, Lord, I'm going to give everything away to the poor. In fact, you do the math. I did the math. He gave everything back. He said half to this, quarter to this. He's very good in math. I'm sure you knew what to keep back, but he gave everything. He gave everything. God's call, my friends, will push you to give everything. The question is, have you heard him? Have you heard him call you by name? Mary heard, said, Rabboni, <laughs> one hug. <laughs> oh, let me go, let me go. Jesus, he didn't say, you know, don't touch me. That's, that's not what he meant. He's, he's saying, hey, I got to go and do so many other things, but I'm going to go up to the Father. I'm going to also meet different people. The first person he met was Mary. Gave, him, gave her the hope at her lowest point in her life. He gave her the hope. Peter said something fantastic. He said, I want Jesus to be my Lord of my life. And I trust him as my Savior. It's very difficult, my friends. And, and all of you probably understand this. Being Lord of our lives... Is the most everybody wants a savior? Nobody wants him to be Lord. You know why? Because we want to be Lord of our lives, we make decisions, we know better. In fact, like Mary said, Tell me where you've laid his body, I will go get him. We give suggestions to God through our prayers, we give him suggestions. Is he Lord? over our lives? He said, yet it seems so natural. The Spirit of God raised the dead man in Peter. So did Jesus raise from the dead. As he raised from the dead, so he's going, to, he's going to resurrect our lives back up. Final thought. You have a story, even if it sounds nothing like anyone's. What's your story? Share your story as the Lord leads you to share your story. Not just in GRC. You have umpteen number of opportunities to share your story. The 18-year-old being saved from himself, from mere religion, from self-reliance. i will like that? The songwriter says, trust and obey. There is no other way. To be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Some of us have dragged our feet, given excuses like Moses did. Some of, us are, some of us are fearful like Samuel. Ooh, what will Eli think? You know, God has revealed the story to me. We're fearful to share our story. We're fearful to even say we go to church. We're fearful to even say we love Jesus and we follow Jesus. Let the Spirit of the Lord work in our hearts and minds this morning. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He said elsewhere, for me to live is Christ in Philippians and to die is gain. Are we living or is Christ living in us? It need not be dramatic. But when Christ comes, drama is but inevitable in all of our lives. Let's have a look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your story, grace story in Peter and story of Mary. As she turned from low point to high point to become the evangelist, to go and declare your word to your disciples. So may we be, Lord. May we be bold. May we be changed. May we be hopeful that you will do your work. For we ask this in Jesus' name.